Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash new music industry. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. You know, I often say to our podcast guests, just pretend like the conversation we're about to have is a casual chat over coffee. But that's literally what happened with today's guests. Once we got going, I just threw the questions out the window. I very much enjoyed connecting with Tommy Z, and I think you will enjoy the conversation we had as well. So let's get into it. So let me tell you why I contacted you. Absolutely. Because I really like, I really like your vibe, you know, as far as you seem like the kind of guy who's definitely putting the word resourceful into work. You're doing all sorts of things. You're involved in all sorts of things. And now as I'm connecting with all of these folks online who I'm basically telling my story to and, you know, in my hope that I can show musicians a way maybe that they have not considered to, to make some money with their music. It was hard to sort of ignore your presence online, you know, mm-hmm. and I thought you're kind of like the perfect guy to reach out to because you're definitely the resource for musicians to show them not just one way, not just two ways, but any given way that actually might work for because everybody's different. There's a myriad of ways to, to earn a living as a musician today. And, and, and that's what I was attracted to you by mm. your ability to, to be able to clearly articulate all of that. So I'm thankful that uh, we're here now. I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I, you're right. I mean, I've focused on the content side of things very heavily. My business reached a plateau, which is why I'm transforming it and turning it into something a little bit different than it used to be in terms of monetization. But I hope that in terms of the impact and change that I've been able to create something that's lasting and tangible for musicians. Yeah, I know, I know, I know exactly how you feel because you know you can always make a little bit of money here and there with, let's say, a digital product or some kind of product online, but it always dries up in the end. And the only thing that going is actually seeing that you're actually making a difference in people's life, and that you're able to price your knowledge or wisdom or products or services in a way that allows people to get transformed by what you're doing and allows you to keep doing that, you know? I mean, that's that's to me the attraction of, of the time that we're living now, is that anyone who has a story, got knowledge, experience, wisdom, can appear online, share it with others, see who resonates with that, and then actually, you know, possibly earn a pretty decent living off of sharing that knowledge. I'm, I'm really attracted by that, you know, as opposed to just getting paid for my time. I create music for commercials. So I'm doing both right now, actually, and mm-hmm. it's quite new to me, to be honest, to be talking with you, to be talking to guys like Graham Cochran on Recording Revolution. and But I'm really enjoying it because... I am stuck, you know, in like my studio, in this world that really no, not nobody, but very few know about. 
And like we all know each other within our business, making different brands. But the wider sort of population musicians, very few of them have a clue. They think it's sing or they think it's like library music, you know, something like that. So when I actually went out there and started sharing the story, it's like crazy how, how many people are mailing me, asking me about this world. And it's quite actually like refreshing for me to be able to help an individual, you know, as opposed to make a song or a song cleaning detergent, which is lucrative, don't get me wrong, but I've been doing it over a decade, you know? So it's mm -hmm. kind of like, if you think about life and how, according to my best knowledge, you only live once, it kind of feels good <laughs> to be able to sort of, you know, build a tribe of people you know you're impacting directly and they're actually willing to pay you for that. Yeah. It's fascinating to me, man. It's really fascinating, and it's kind of like the perfect, the perfect scenario. Like, you're helping someone; they see value in what you're doing. They give you money; you get doing it. It's beautiful. It's funny because, like, I almost walked away from it. I was thinking, like, hmm, I know personal development. I know marketing. Maybe I should get into those spaces. Yeah. Maybe they would be more lucrative. Maybe I could establish myself in, in those niches instead. And I think what made a difference for me, or at least one of the things, was going to the DIY Musician Conference in Austin earlier this year in August. And I just realized that these were my people. Yes. So, so yes. often in Calgary, uh, I would get a dead dead stare or a dead look or like a deer in headlights kind of look if I even talked about like ebooks or online marketing or or authoring books or any of that they're just like does that make yeah. any money or they change the subject or whatever it was but but i went to the conference and it was completely different reception they would look at my book and go oh i can see that's kind of seth godin inspired and i'd be like you get it yeah. <laughs> you you yeah. get something that a lot of people just don't get and i think my heart opened again i wanted to begin embracing my creative side i realized that i was not meant to be uh, some kind of business titan I'm meant to be yeah. more of like a creative coach or a creative helper, a creative mentor. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's where I can make the biggest difference. And that's why I'm writing more music again and releasing more music again, too. Yeah, I mean, look, man, I always look at living life from a macro and micro perspective. It's the same thing when you're making music. You got to sort of zoom out, go, is this thing working, you know, and mm. then go back to fiddling the hi-hat, you know. Yeah. Same with life. You got to wake up every day and go, is my life working? Like, you know, if I got hit by a, by a streetcar today, could I lay under the streetcar and go, okay, I guess game over. But like, how did I do, you know? Um, if you can, if you can do that, zoom out, lay under a streetcar and go, I'm making music. I'm having a good time. I'm able to pay my rent. Check good then that's the most important thing you know sometimes we live in the micro thing which is like money pressure gotta make the money gotta make the money so then you start thinking up these schemes that aren't even you like i'm gonna go out and join the personal development space because obviously you're a smart guy obviously you understand promotion marketing and the huge bucks are over there right i mean mm -hmm. the, the the amount of money you can charge for these personal development programs are incredible oh yeah but 
but it's not you necessarily, right? And and <laughs> I've had the same thing, you know. I've had I've I've been frustrated with advertising industry a few times because let's face it, like when you're working on a on a campaign for for dish soap and they're really grinding you like you're on the 47th revision of a track you don't even like <laughs> say to yourself Jesus like what am I doing with my life you know and sure I'm getting paid but it really feels like I'm just being a slave to some some corporate committee that doesn't even understand music and etc and etc cetera, et cetera. but when I wake up the next day and I have sober moments of reflection, I go, dude, this is your story. Like, you couldn't be just a hundred percent artist. You couldn't be just a hundred percent corporate guy because I used to be that guy. I used to be a banker. So you're right where you belong. Man. You're between the music and the business, yep. and you get to do some crap thing, but not a hundred percent, which is fine. And you get to do some businessy stuff. But not a hundred percent, which is perfect, because if you had to do a hundred percent of either of these, you'd get probably frustrated or bored. So, you know, it's funny if you take a look at your life. A lot of people are right where they belong. They just refuse to acknowledge that. You know, yeah. <laughs> thing, right? so it's true. like it's no, it's no accident that you're exactly where you are. And maybe if you accept that and go with it, you will start driving without your handbrake on. Mm. Otherwise, you know, you might overthink stuff and just get into this analysis paralysis mode and not even achieve humble results wherever the hell you are because you're constantly doubting, constantly thinking, constantly grass is greener. Like, grass is greener wherever you water it. I think Gary Vaynerchuk said that or some one of those smart guys online. And I think it's very true. Grass is greener wherever you water it, right? I think you just summarized uh, the book that's been in development for way too long <laughs> called Flashes of Elation, which is about sensitive creatives that's going to be coming out, but it's not going to be the next book. Uh, it'll probably be the, the one after the next one that I'm releasing, which I'm planning to call the Music Entrepreneur Code. And I think it's just a much needed resource in the, in the space right now. There's got to be someone that can simplify all this because I see people in the music yeah. entrepreneur space that have, you know, so many different spokes to their music entrepreneur concept. And I'm going like, that's going to be overwhelming at the best of times yes. for anybody to yeah. try to do that. We need, we need a way to like just dumb this way down, keep it simple. Yeah. Uh, and just get people motivated, inspired to do it. Never mind, like try to figure out all the details all at once, right? So, and I also relate to what yeah. you said about uh, you know the forty seventh revision. I mean, I've I've had my finger in a lot of different things, as you said. So I've done some studio recording before as a, as a producer engineer. And I remember the first time this yeah. happened where a client was just like, okay, so we need to boost the bass. Okay, so you need to take out this section. Could you edit that out? Okay, we're going to need to layer the guitars again. So let's layer the guitars all over. And it needs more reverb. And, and now we're going to have to do some extra vocal tracking. So we're going to do even more vocal tracking on top of the tracking we've already done. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, are you kidding me? And yeah. then, but yeah. then I had this moment as a business person. I had this moment where I was like, oh but I'm just getting paid more to do this. So the longer we sit here working on this, uh, ultimately, the better my pocketbook looks. So yeah. I wanted to be in a capacity where I'm still serving them. At the same yep. time, it was also a realization that, hmm, okay, 
longer I sit here, the more money I make. Yeah, and you know, I always say there's a difference between being an artist and being an artisan. Mm. An artisan, aka craftsperson, is somebody who is paid to do something for somebody else. It, it, there's no need to get precious. There's no need to get pretty. There's no need to get emotional. You're like a you're like a, a paid assassin. You mm. go in there. You put on a pro face. More guitar? Sure, more guitar. <laughs> Are you not afraid there's too much guitars? No, the client says, I'm not afraid. Okay, you're paying me. And that's being an artisan. That's being a craftsperson. When you're an artist, you have complete freedom. You can do whatever you want because, because nobody's really paying you. It's your creative freedom. You're doing whatever you want. And that's the difference, I think. And a lot of people have trouble switching mindsets. Like they walk into a craftsperson situation as an artist, forgetting that when you're a craftsperson, there's a committee. There's money, but there's also a committee. That money didn't come from, you know, that money came from, let's say, somebody who's like, let's say, a business, right? Somebody who's generating money who owes their shareholders something who who needs to basically be accountable for the money they spend and they need to earn the money and a lot of musicians don't really get that business part that you're here to perform exchange for certain money and if you can separate your ego and your emotions from all of that then actually objectively speaking it's not such a bad way to make a living man you you're yeah. in this studio you're building on the mixing board you're tweaking some knobs or me, I'm, I'm making some music for some brand. Are they frustrating sometimes? Yes. Do I do revisions that I don't believe in as a craftsperson? Yes. But is there a trade-off? Absolutely. I'm getting paid more than I would had I done everything myself, released it out into the world, and then, what? Nobody's waiting for it. So unless I put in thousands of hours in promoting my stuff, then maybe I have hopes of generating some income. But it's a very clear distinction for me, you know, and, and that's something that that I try to teach people that come onto my path is the mentality of a craftsperson is very different from the mentality of the artist. Hmm. And I actually work with a lot of artists who are 100% artists in a sense that they never compromise their artistic, artistic integrity. They're putting out records, they're writing the songs they want, but when they need money, because their albums or their streams are not always a reliable source of income, they come and do a few commercial campaigns. And a lot of these guys are smart, like the professional guys, the guys who've been at it for a while, they know exactly like what's happening when they're commissioned to let's say write a song for some brand and it's beautiful to see i'm talking about the younger guys like the guys who are still sort of maybe and girls who are learning maybe they're still idealistic there's nothing wrong with being idealistic i think it's it's a good thing to have yeah. but i think it's also good to sort of put things into categories in your brain and without compromising your integrity as a human being or as an artist to be able to say I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for money. So I accept the pros and cons of that. And if my soul is calling me not just to do things for other people, 
I'm going to create a personal project and do that, and nobody can tell me nothing. That's... I've been talking for a really long time, and I hope I made a little bit of sense there. No, it's really powerful what you said. I think if most musicians just got that, they would be much further along in, in the sense that, you know, I just did a fairly sarcastic rant on the podcast about record label owners or people who are wanting to start a record label say, saying, I have a yeah. million dollars. Uh, how would you advise I spend my marketing budget? <laughs> you have guys like that? I would love yeah. to get it. Them. Yeah, absolutely. But I guess the the source of the sarcasm was just that, you know, look, uh, their question was so vague, right? They, they didn't say anything about their target audience or who was on their yeah. label or what genre of music they were going to represent or any of that. So yeah. that's where that's where this whole, uh, I guess my friend called it angst. Yeah, that's kind of the, the angsty approach came from was yeah. was from from this realization that i mean these could just be tire kickers right they're just coming to me going like how would you do this uh, to see if i'm any good right <laughs> i was just gonna say like i still went on to answer that question and i still offered some some good tips but i said without knowing who your target audience is or who's signed to your label or what music you're representing this is all i can do for you <laughs> you know yeah i mean you know in the, in um there's always been this kind of marriage between money guys and the artists. You notice that? Like, mm. music business was built on that. You had the managers and you had the artists. Um, Andy Warhol, I was reading his biography recently, he blew up, you know, after surrounding himself with a good manager and making a decision to blow up. So, you know, if there are guys who have a million bucks and, you know, they're smart business-wise... It might be interesting for a musician to think about pairing up with somebody like this, mm -hmm. but, you'll, but you have to understand that money is not free ever. Like you can go, you might be freer working at Starbucks and just meeting your bills, being able to pay your bills, than accepting some investment from somebody who's never going to give you money for free. There's an expectation. They'll want to own yeah. a large share of your life, your catalog of your time. And I've had a few of these opportunities personally where somebody said, you know, I'm going to invest in your company and your music production company. We're going to go out there and make music for brands. We're going to be great. And I just refused because I realized I actually didn't need anybody's money in order to do what I do. Mm. Like I can go and get Which the project awesome. myself. Right. And yeah. from the revenue of those projects, I pay all of my expenses, which means I'm 100 percent owner of everything that I do. If I wanted to buy a factory and create widgets, T-shirts, I don't know, tires, whatever, then I would not be able to do that. I would need capital investment, like a large sum of money to do this. So then I might consider an investor but to create music to hire composers to and produce and oversee them, to go into advertising agencies and to get these campaigns by, you know, schmoozing the creative directors and buying them overpriced sushi lunches. I don't need an investor for that. And if I had an investor, they would take 30% of everything I make or whatever, you know, and, and it's just not good business for me. Mm -hmm. So you gotta be really careful with that. 
Yeah, I think Rick Barker recently went on to explain sort of the difference between music industry and music business and how he explained it was music industry is the big players, the big labels, the distributors, the PROs and so forth. And then you have the music businesses, which represents us, the the smaller or medium-sized businesses that are out there providing a valuable service. And if you want to do business with a music business, you have to expect to pay money. It's just how it works. This is how we make our living, right? You make money as a music producer. I make money as a a content creator and resource provider and a coach. So, yeah, Yeah. people have to expect, have that expectation that they're going to pay for that. The onus is on me to prove my value in the marketplace as a music producer. When I make music for commercials or plants. And also, if I decide to, like I'm doing now, teach other musicians how to break into the business, I have to create something that musicians deem worthwhile. That is actually giving them transformation results or information that they can't readily access anywhere else. Or else, you don't belong in the market. You know, it's like, uh, and and I, I love that about, I love the, that sort of, democracy of what the internet has done and i know it's been said over and over again but it's really true man you don't need much to go out there and reach people and then see if whatever it is that you're reaching people with is resonating i had the same thing like i've been doing ads for over a decade okay in canada is where my career started and I moved back to them five years. At one point, I thought, you know, this every time I do a lecture, like every time I do a keynote, I'm just having a lot of fun. Like a lot of musicians are coming up to me. They're like, oh my God, I never knew that you could actually make money doing this. Like that there are people making a living or a full time career doing this. And I was like, you know what? That's true, man. Like, how many people actually know about it? Because before I got into it, I was thinking that remixing, licensing my track to some compilations, this is in 2005, DJing, uh, and maybe once in a while, you know, like getting paid to do a remix is the way that you make a living as a musician. And it wasn't until I actually, you know, got asked to create music for some friends that it was like, Really? Like, this is the kind of money that you could make just writing music for, for a commercial? This is crazy, right? So hmm. so then when I started sharing that story, I had to remind myself that I was the same way. Like, when I entered the business, I was like, hmm. really? This world exists? Like, you know, I thought you got to slug it out trying to get a record deal or selling your singles or licensing them to comps around the world or, or you know getting to know people at labels so you can do remixes, which is still a viable way to make a living. But let's face it, the things have changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. And not so many labels are willing to pay you as good money as they would back in the day for a remix. Or let's just say that, you know, unless you're getting millions of streams, it's probably not a reliable way to estimate or to guarantee some kind of a stable income, right? So, and it's more competitive than it used to be, too. And that's another thing that, that musicians are having to face. You know, all, there was a lot of talk about licensing and placements. And I know people can still make really good money at it. The difference now is there's more and more people that have grown wise to that. 
But uh, I do feel that the fascination with, with streaming platforms and Spotify is, is somewhat inordinate. Like if you can go and buy a cheap course or ebook on and read about it and get some information on it, great. I don't have one. <laughs> I think a lot of other smart yeah. entrepreneurs do. But the the thing is that I think unless unless like you said, unless you're getting millions of streams or something like that, it's not going to amount to much. The, I think where the money is and it has always been or has been for at least the last two decades is in your list. Uh, that's the best place to build your following is in your email list. And if you can grow that, yeah. then you have a database of people you can reach out to whenever you have something new. And those will be the first people to buy, stream, and, and yeah. whatever it is yeah. that you want them to do. Yeah. But you know what the problem with the there is? is unless you have a product that's priced high enough, you just don't get enough out of that list yeah. in order to satisfy your, your you know, um, let's say maybe basic business revenue goals. I mean, you'd really have to, I'll give you an example. Like my wife, she writes crime fiction hmm. and she's a published author you know, she's on her third book now, and she, we're not going to retire on her income, on her sales income, especially yeah. after she's signed with a big publisher now. They take most of the royalties. But I'm always like, when I look at it objectively, and we're eating supper together, and she's complaining about, you know, not getting enough um, exposure from the media or the Instagram posts not doing enough damage. <laughs> I'm like, man, I don't envy you, my wife. You know why? Because at the end of the day, your product is like 10 euros. Yeah. So even if you reach, like you need a massive audience in order to see some kind of meaningful numbers from it, you know? Like my, the way I put food on the table is I earn a a very good commission for creating music for a commercial. I don't always create the music. I'm a music producer, which means I don't always make the music, but I make the music happen. So sometimes I do it, but once in a while, let's say I have to do an orchestral score, I will reach out to a specialist, somebody who's amazing, somebody who I trust and love. And so I give them the project. Maybe I find another guy, so I have three options or so they deliver but i'm responsible for the entire portion of the campaign so i get one chunk sum of money from the advertising agency or the brand so you know instead of having a mass audience i go after businesses mm. to pay me a commission in order to create some art on their behalf and this is what i call like going back to bach because bach was a musician and he spent his whole life as a musician. He never had a day job, right? Mm -hmm. Never had a side job, never had a, nothing. Like from morning till night, Bach made all of his income from music, right? And sometimes it was income from patrons who paid him, commissioned him to create a piece of music for them. And other times maybe the church paid him to be the organist, right? Yeah. So today, what I see is that we no longer have kings and churches as patrons of musicians and of art, but today those patrons are brands, so businesses. 
Yes. Like, where are you going to go and find someone to pay you thousands of dollars to create a track? My best guess, and it's not even a guess because I'm actually doing it, and I've been doing it for a decade, is brands. I mean, they they spend billions on content, right? Because they have to keep us, the audience, emotionally moved and just boiling with desire to buy the latest Nike shoe or or to get the latest MacBook. And it's a kind of a black magic that these brands do by having really sexy music, visuals, and these stories that are just like, they just grab you, right? Like the great brands know exactly how to do this. So to me, it's sort of a clear path, like being back to Bach. But instead of going to church for your money or to the king so that you know you can write a piece of music for them, you go to brands and they pay you to be an artist. So that's kind of how I see, mind you, I'm stuck in this world. So I don't have as wide of a view as you do. I don't concentrate on royalties. I don't concentrate on record deals. I don't give a shit about radio play. I don't give a shit about record sales. I don't care about selling singles for pennies. To me, people are streaming music for free. If you can embrace that reality, then maybe we can figure out a new way. But like hoping that you can live off of, you know, selling singles for pennies, that would that would really scare the shit out of me mm-hmm. if, if mm-hmm. I was trying to make it as an artist. Well, that's what you got to be mindful of for sure. I wouldn't want to be the musician that was selling the single for 69 cents and then the album for $9.99. I think what happens is musicians assume they're selling to musicians, right? So they have right. just as much money as they do, which is not true. There's a lot of consumers out there. I know like women 25 to 35, just from my observation, spend sometimes three, four, five hundred $500 a day on different things. And... Yeah. Uh, there's just much greater opportunity. So I'm often going, you know, where's your bundle? Where are your packages? Where can I go to buy your entire catalog? And they're going, what? And I say, yeah, charge a hundred bucks for your entire catalog. Um, yeah, charge a thousand dollars for your, the next five performances. So a venue can book yeah. you ten, 10 times or five times instead of just once. Uh, you know, where are your, where's your tour package? Like I don't see any of this stuff on your website. And so you don't have a higher priced offer than something that's nine ninety nine. Do you see how that doesn't make any sense? Yeah. So like, how could you, every time I see, I went to a coffee shop recently and the, the lady that was running it, it's, it, it was, everything was so beautiful. Like she was baking pies on the spot and the pie was the best pie I ever had. And they, and the cappuccino was the best cappuccino I ever had. So I started talking mm. to her because I do enjoy these one-off things. As much as I love Starbucks, you know, it's like I'll give Starbucks one thing. It's it's like a pretty reliable experience yeah. given the fact that it, there's a billion of them around the world. So I'm not going to hate on Starbucks because if I need a, like a, a grande bold, that's where I go. I just like my coffee bold. I sometimes don't want a bar drink. I just want a dark coffee with some crazy cream in there and if i'm in warsaw or if i'm in amsterdam or if i'm in toronto it's the same grande bold man yes and it's beautiful but i also do enjoy these unique one-off things because there is no template there there is no process there is no franchise there it's basically the authorship of this woman and so i'm curious like what is this why 
did you get into this because you like baking cake? Why are you doing this? And I don't know how many times I've heard this story, but in different versions. But basically, I see the face go kind of like neutral to sad. And go, you know, I actually put a lot of money into this place. And um, mm -hmm. it's just I got to keep putting in money, you know, like there's just not enough money being generated for it to be lucrative. And she goes, I'm like, well, your passion is also baking, isn't it? She's like, I guess, but I really got into this for money. Hmm. And I always sort of think to myself, really? Like, how many people in this small cafe with like three tables did you expect to have every day generating how much revenue? Like, even if you look at the broad strokes, you start seeing trouble already. Like, yeah. how could you expect yeah. getting selling coffees and cakes to be lucrative? Like, it's never going to be lucrative. You can't fit a million people inside of your cafe every single day. And so I just kind of I'm amazed to see that people sometimes can't step back and just look at the raw mechanics of whatever thing they're proposing to be a business. And it's the same for musicians. It's like if your single sells for 69 cents, how many of them do you actually have to sell in order to generate a good enough revenue? Uh, and if you make that calculation, and a lot of the times people will go, really, I have to reach that many people? Well, yeah, like, what did you expect? You have to reach that many people. So, so I, you know, I'm a big fan of simplicity and just looking at raw mechanics of every situation. And if you open a cafe to bake cake because it's your passion, that's one thing. But if you say, oh, I was hoping it'd be lucrative, it, was ne it never promised to be that. Yeah. I've never been accused of not being able to identify revenue streams within a business. In fact, I've gotten compliments from people who've looked at my business plans and they've gone, wow, uh, you sure know your way around monetization. And I say, yeah, because I like to think about that kind of stuff. It doesn't mean I love to do all of it. It just means that I, like, I've identified some things that work and having lower priced offers but also higher priced offers and medium tier offers it's it's all very important and and people are forcing people through funnels more than ever but i just see that it should be like a, a chocolate wheel where you know there's spokes of every department and the customer yeah. is forwarded to the appropriate department at the appropriate time not force right. people through 17 dollars 37 dollars 67 someone might just want your 67 dollar offer give them the opportunity yeah. to get there first right instead of buying having yeah. to go through yeah. buying your multiple offers so yeah yeah how much of that are you doing these days like because I can imagine like a lot of musicians have this sort of narrow view of like, I got to sell my single. Mm -hmm. So like how much leeway do you really have to, to, to open up their world and, and sort of open their horizon and, and, it's really their willingness to, to invest in themselves first and foremost, because, because uh, they think when they're purchasing my time as a coach, they're giving me money. And I say, you're actually just investing in yourself. I'm reflecting back to you your own thoughts. And that's what a good coach does. And I also ask yeah. good questions. That's another thing a good coach does. And yeah, I think it is tough, right? Artists um, are sometimes stubborn or sometimes want their own way or sometimes don't want to try things outside of what they're already doing. But yeah. once that's reflected back to them, 
sometimes they begin to see their own insanity. It's like, I've noticed this with myself. If I stay in my own insanity long enough, I see the issue with it, and then I'm like, oh, there's, I have access to a different way of doing things now. But so, a lot yeah. of people don't stay in that insanity long enough. They'll change the subject. They'll try to talk about something else or get into something. And I say, no, stay. Stay where you are. And they're like, well, I feel bad. And I'm like, I know. I know you feel bad because <laughs> you're, you're feeling yeah. guilt or shame or whatever it is on the inside. Yeah. But if you stick yeah. it through and, and stay in that insanity for a little longer, you might begin to see some things you didn't see before. You're totally right, man. I'll tell you a little story uh, that relates to that. When I, I used to be a banker on Bay Street in Toronto, uh, oh, working Toronto. for Toronto Dominion Bank. And it's basically like what I was doing while I was DJing and producing. So it was like my safe day job. After I finished university, I didn't know what I could do. And I never trusted that I could be a musician in full time. So I got into this day job and initially it was great because like you kind of ride off of that novelty of having wearing a suit, having a fancy business card and traveling to one of the black towers downtown Toronto in a fast elevator, having your own cubicle, you know, you kind of like try to live that, you know, and, 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 and enjoy that. And I guess I enjoyed it for a little bit, but I, I had this double life where by day I was doing that and by night I was DJing at Toronto clubs and doing these remixes and putting out music. Hmm. And I started getting slowly dissatisfied and just totally that day job started becoming very dissonant as in the novelty wore off and now I was just seeing people in a conference room using big words that really weren't getting anywhere they were just using them to sort of keep everyone asleep and keep everyone comfortable (laughs) but I noticed that it was kind of a substitute for real thinking or real commitment or right just using big words and so as i started getting dissatisfied and i started like i was going in there on like four hours of sleep because thursday friday saturday sunday nights i had residencies in all these toronto clubs so i basically show up at work on friday after having four hours of sleep and in the morning meeting i'd already be cranky and you know you know we had guys like bob basically saying you know we have to ensure we maximize shareholder value. Realize all the available synergies. <laughs> I'm like, Bob, if you could just specify what you mean by that, that would be fantastic. Because what you just said is meaningless. Yeah. Obviously, nobody is trying to take away shareholder value. Nobody's trying to run away from synergies if they exist. But you just said something that everyone's nodding their head to, but like like nobody's really questioning or challenging it, like saying, what do you actually mean by that? And I started doing that. Not because I cared, but because I was cranky and just sort of like losing the end of my, at the end of my patience, right? So yeah, I thought they were going to like fire my ass, you know? <laughs> but instead, I started getting promoted. They're like, dude, this dude is leadership potential. I, we just love how he cuts through the clutter, Ocam's razor, just boiling it down to the essentials. We love this guy. So I started getting promoted nice. in a place I felt I didn't belong. And so 
now I'm getting to the point where I connect to what you were saying. Yeah. Three, four years in to that job, I was really feeling the pain, the chaos of my situation, a total dissatisfaction with my status quo. Like, just not feeling like I'm in control of my life and accepting the promotions and getting the pay rates, having a business card that's huge. Like, and everyone's sort of cheering me on, my family, because what could, what else could I do? I mean, it's great. I got a job at a major financial institution. I got investments. I got all these packages, employee packages. Fantastic. But I knew I didn't belong. So I felt out of control. And I remember having a phone call with the guy that I was making music with at the time, kind of like my studio partner. We made music together. It was fantastic. And I remember saying to him, like, it's been like years, like two years probably, where I'm just going to work, but I feel dissatisfied. And I'm feeling this pain and this tension well up inside of me. Because I know, according to my best knowledge, you only live once. And like life is just passing me by, man. And I see zero indication that I'm ever going to make music my full-time income. Hmm. Like I'm not doing enough to make that happen. And I remember the, the, the pain and that dissatisfaction and that tension welled up so hard that I just snapped. Hmm. Like, I just snapped and went, you know what, fuck, this is it. I'm, I'm going after music as a full-time career. Right. And the reason why I bring this up is because had I not lived with that tension and had not acknowledged it, and had not let that tension actually spill over or like rise up to my consciousness and really like make me aware of how painful it is, the situation I'm in right now, I would have never made a decision that actually stuck because I've made lots of rational decisions in my life, in my head, but they didn't have the sticking power. Hmm. Well, I actually acknowledge the pain and the bullshit and all the things that are wrong with your situation, as it is objectively, don't run from it. It can really be a powerful motivator to say, I am in deep shit. <laughs> and you can't actually start changing unless you first acknowledge where you are. So, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. It's such a great story, you know, to relate to it a little bit. In, in 2014, I mean, I had a bunch of niche blogs at the time in addition to, to the Music Entrepreneur HQ and was just experimenting, trying different things. One of the things I was looking to establish was a uh, content provider. So like writing blog posts for, for corporate, you know, for businesses and, and so forth. And, yeah. you know, that, that is what I do to make some of my money these days, either either. Uh, ironically or or just because by design but uh as i was looking to establish that we sat down with different people to get their advice and tips and we talked to web designers and we talked to a studio owner interestingly enough and i remember this whole thing about buzzwords that came up 
uh, and it was just you know throw around terms like ROI and synergy and this that I just started laughing I couldn't help it I was just laughing uncontrollably I was like yeah. I mean you're kind of right because <laughs> if I talk to some of the corporate people and, and mention a bunch of these terms then maybe they would just sign on and be like yeah we need this guy to do our SEO blog synergy optimization boosting campaign or whatever it ends up being and yeah. and you know maybe it would work but it, but yeah it doesn't cut through the BS at all at the end of the day all you're doing is creating content and six to twelve months from now hopefully if you're lucky it ranks in Google like that's all that's going on <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah and you have to always work backwards like again I bring up the streetcar like start your day with a streetcar test man you're laying under a streetcar and what do you think of your life so far <laughs> you know <laughs> yes kind of how I look at it you know if I'm laying under the streetcar tonight after this interview because I didn't look both ways um, the first thing I'm going to think about is my family hmm. so oh, at least that's what I think I'm going to think about like oh man are they going to be okay it really sucks that I'm not coming home right now. How will they even find out what's going to happen? So that shows you right away. Like, you're no longer fooling yourself when you're laying under a streetcar. Yeah. So I'm trying, you know, the ancient Romans, ancient Romans, is that even a term? There's ancient Greeks, but is there ancient Romans? Anyway, <laughs> Romans, I think it was like the, uh, the uh, uh, what do they call these? Um, Stoics. The Stoics, hmm. I heard that they would actually arrange funerals, mock funerals for themselves. Ah. So they could actually experience the day of their own passing and, and like their funeral. Yes. So that, and that's where Memento Mori came from. Where like you remember the fact that you're actually going to die and there's no disputing it. And so they would try to live really pragmatically because of that. So I kind of have this test and, you know, it really cuts through the bullshit. And that is, I'm laying on their streetcar. What do I think about? There's three things I think about. Uh, first is my family. The second is, where am I going next? And that is, you know, you don't have to be religious, but like a lot of artists are spiritual people. Like they wonder about metaphysical things. Why is there something rather than nothing? Is there something? Are there aliens? Like, I think a lot of artists think about those kind of things because... They touch on invisible things. They touch on something more than just the things we see and hear. And that's the role of an artist is actually to point us beyond something obvious. So that's the second thing I would think about. And that's why I also think a lot about spirituality and about living a good life. Because I'm hedging my bets, man. I don't want to go through a door where there might happen to be eternal life where suddenly, like, I realize that the things that I've done in this life are gonna set me back for eternity you know so that's the second thing and keep in mind this is individual right i'm just telling yeah. you what i feel or what i think i will think about when i lay in the streetcar and the third thing of course is was i true to myself like did i listen to my soul did i leave the bank when my soul said you don't belong here did i take two steps back when i left the bank to take a step forward because believe me, I wasn't making anywhere close to the salary I was making at the bank when I left to pursue music full time. Right. Right. But I got myself up to that point, you know, because I believe 
that when you get yourself on the right path where you belong, money is not going to be an issue. Like it might be, but you know what's more of an issue is when you're making lots of money and you're unhappy. Because that's a way serious problem to fix. Then like when you put yourself on a path where your talents and the needs of the market align, it's a matter of time before you make the money. You know, it's, I, I really believe that. If you align your talent with the needs of the market, it's a matter of time. And when you're happy, you don't need to make as much money. I remember this engineer, famous engineer. I don't know. I don't remember his name now. Hmm. But he's like one of the big guys in the, in the music industry. And uh, I read a lot of these biographies and things like that. And he said, you know what's funny? said I never realized that I was broke because I was having so much fun in the studio that's not wisdom at the highest level I don't know what is yeah it's that simple truth that when you're having a good time and you feel like you're on the right path aligned with what you were meant to do in this universe you simply are happier more content and then you don't need to go out put down a credit card to buy a new pair of shoes or to buy yourself a fancy car. Because those are all things that you think will satisfy you, but they don't, man. Yeah. What satisfies you is the feeling that you belong in this world and that you're actually blooming and creating the things you were meant to create. I feel like a motivational speaker. I should <laughs> totally pitch like a $10,000 peak program at the end of this call. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but the listeners Because you are... know there will be people that actually buy it yeah <laughs> the listeners have got to be the one that, uh, that put the money into that but you know leaving uh, calgary recently uh my friend described it as like burning the ships behind me like no turning back you have to just keep going and that's kind of how it felt right it was just one problem after another with my car whether it was the car alarm going off and not being able to turn it off having to get uh roadside assistance to break into my car because the lock wouldn't open when I finally arrived in, in, you know, British Columbia, BC area outside of Alberta, um, then, then my car just broke down and then I had to take it to a mechanic and then it turns out it was the piston, nothing they can do about it. And it was like, okay, yeah. what am I going to do? Uh, rent a U-Haul, rent a car, what's next? And I ended up buying a car, but, uh, really long story long, it was just like shedding the old self. That's all. I was moving in the right direction. It was a new chapter in my life. I could feel it. It was like tangible, but I, I kind of just had to yep. walk through everything. And then like the day that I bought the car, I became a BC resident. Everything was done. I got my insurance. I got my registration. I got my new license. I'm a, I'm a BC resident now. It all just happened then and there. And it was like yeah. not expected, yeah. but I shedded the old self and I'm here, you know? You know what? The, I feel like the universe has a way, way of testing you when you when you decide to make a commitment yeah almost to see if you're serious. Like when I decided to, to create a masterclass and to actually try my hand at being a mentor online and like actually selling this thing to people, it was kind of a weird experience for me, man. Maybe not for you because you've been doing it. You've been pitching stuff for a while. But to me, it was like, I have no problem taking money from brands, big money. Like I have zero sensitivity around that because they got billions of dollars to spend. But when I have individuals telling me that they've, they have to save up to get into my course or that 
could you please create an installment plan? And like that really hit me. I was like, man, I'm really dealing with like real human beings now. It's no longer like, yep. you know, and I don't want to turn into one of those cynical online entrepreneur guys who are just happy to make all the sales and will never actually respond to their students. Like you can't get at them unless you pay like some crazy amount of money to to have like, I don't know, access to them, you know? And so I, when I started, when I got onto this road, I had to overcome all of these sort of blocks, like mindset blocks, one, but two, like my technology was crapping out. I couldn't record an interview properly. My computer was crashing when I was trying to edit a module in the course. And I was just like, oh, hell no, man. You're not going to stop me. Like, I decided I'm going to do this. If I have to sit here until 3 in the morning to finish this fucking module, I'm going to do it. Love it. You know? Mm -hmm. Which is like a different thing from when I was like 24 and kind of dabbling into stuff. I'm going to make a remix. Did I make a remix? Yeah, I kind of picked at it for a while, but I never finished it, you know? I think it's like a maturing that happens when you when you commit to your decisions, your car breaks down, you're like, I'm not turning back. You can do whatever you want, universe. But I, I'm going to happen to circumstances. It's not just going to be circumstances happening to me, you know? That's right. I love that. Well, yeah. That's a great, great bit of mindset to, to add to this conversation, which I guess it's kind of been the whole time. At some point, I just hit the record button, man, because I felt like, you know, let's just let it flow. <laughs> let's, let me scrap the questions. That's all right. Let me scrap the questions and, and let's just go <laughs> for it, which is what we did. But thank you for your time and generosity. Is there anything else that you, uh, you. have in closing? No, I mean, I'm uh, I'm just happy that we got a chance to meet and to talk, and uh, I, I think it won't be the last time. If uh, people want to check out what I do, they can go to TommyZ.co. That's where you'll find my work that I do for brands and uh, for music commercials. And if you want to learn more about the world of making music for brands, go to makingmusicforbrands.com. Nice. And... Um, I actually, before we spoke, uh, before we got on this call, I thought I might do something special for your listeners. Huh. If that's something that you want to publish, then I leave it to you as the uh, sort of the CEO of your of your life and your enterprises. <laughs> that's fantastic. But um, I thought that, if, yeah, man, I thought if people go to makingmusicforbrands.com slash David30, they will get a 30% discount on the masterclass, which I'm uh, currently offering. We just went through a pre-sale where uh, I basically had the masterclass at a discounted rate. Before the course was even made, I went out there. I'm like, who's interested? Mm -hmm. And I had a number of people to sign up. We actually have 62 students right now in the masterclass, which is quite great. But now the price has gone up to like the regular price. Uh, so just for your listeners, if they're interested, once they check out makingmusicforbrands.com, there's like a sales page there. They can see what the curriculum is, everything that we cover. And if that's something that interests you and you actually want to go forward with it, uh, go to makingmusicforbrands.com slash David30. And, uh, that's where you'll have the checkout, uh, which applies this exclusive 
discount because I'm not offering any discounts on this masterclass right now except for whoever hears this interview. So, so that's that. And if you have any questions, like I said, man, I'm not one of those guys uh, because I'm just getting started with this mentoring masterclass thing. Mm -hmm. I'm really like Gary Vaynerchuk says, man, I'm on the heavy grind. I reply to everybody who emails me. Like, I had a guy today email me and he's like, dude, I didn't get in during the pre-sale and now I can't afford the class. And he told me like, he's got problems, financial problems. Uh, his mom passed away. He's sick. Like he had health problems. You know, I'm like, we're dealing with real human beings, man. It's kind of hard for me to be insensitive to that. Yeah. And he kept apologizing me for the fact that he keeps asking me what he called newbie questions. And when he told me that little bit of a story, because I kind of tried to brush him off after the third email, I was like, you know, this is everything we cover in the master class. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, dude. I really apologize. But, you know, I don't. I said, you know what? Don't worry about it, man. Whatever help you need, whatever questions you have, just hit me up. Because honestly, man, it's like 30 seconds for me to actually make an impact in somebody's day by writing three sentences uh, and steering them in the right direction. And that's sometimes all that's required. So whoever's listening to this, feel free to mail me, contact me. And unless you approach me like a real jerk, which I <laughs> doubt uh, any of you, uh, any of your people would, then you can expect that I will reply to you in a, in a some kind of a meaningful way. That's fantastic. And I mean, I totally know what you mean to kind of answer your earlier question. It's like when I first started selling, I honestly was just going to record a series of audios and sell them for like 99 cents. It's like musicians are familiar with that price, right? And yes. it was weird because pretty soon there were people like, oh my God, this is a cool idea. Where did you come up with this about teaching business and music together? And they wanted me to charge more for it and they wanted me to do this and that without realizing what the product was, which was like a 30 minute audio. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's, it's funny how that, uh, but that kind of, it, it had me rethinking, you know, everything that, that I was doing to that point. And, and, and from there I was able to iterate and actually create things that were worth the money that, that I was asking for them. But yeah, I think we all start there. It's, uh, it's like awkward to figure out pricing and, and, and to know what to charge. It is awkward. Yeah. But you know, I, I haven't been hesitant to charge premium in my business. Like I have always charged premium for making music for brands. And I always advise anybody getting into business that you don't want to compete on price. Nope. Seth Godin says this. It's a race to the bottom and the problem is you might win. And so my philosophy is charge as much as humanly possible, as much as the market will stand. And that will put the pressure on you, hopefully, if you're a good human being, to actually deliver something above and beyond what you're charging. And I like that. You know, the last few weeks have been really stressful, man, because I'm continuing to create campaigns for brands while I'm doing this masterclass, creating the modules. They're, they keep getting released weekly, and it's way more work than I thought it would be. Like, way more. Like, the editing, the slides, the recording the editing but the whole thing is i'm trying to justify the value way above the price point you know and like i had one guy say under a youtube video uh where i think it was the interview with brian funk 
music production podcast or Graham Cochran, but he said the course is way too expensive. And I actually wanted to like create a video around that to say, you know, this is this kind of comment reveals a certain mindset. And it's a mindset that I don't recommend to musicians. Like there is no such thing as way too expensive. Is a thousand dollar iPhone way too expensive? Is a Lamborghini way too expensive? Is a box of matches way too expensive? It's got nothing to do with price and what value you perceive and you derive from the offering. There are people paying like heavy thousands of dollars for vinyl on Discogs, which I wouldn't spend $10 on. Mm -hmm. So objectively speaking, there's no such thing as way too expensive. And I would encourage every musician to price themselves as high as possible. But you know what you got to do in order to do that. You got to be remarkable. And that's, that's the part that's difficult. Like actually being remarkable, actually being valuable and actually being so damn valuable that people will not even mention price when it comes to you. And that's the philosophy I would encourage any creative person to have. Don't price yourself low, price yourself high and figure out how you can just. Absolutely. I mean, when it comes to something like a course too, like you could watch a two or three hour course on Instagram and presto manifesto, you are an expert on Instagram. And some people laugh <laughs> yeah. sort of uncomfortably at that comment, but the reality is, is there really more That's than, it, is there really more than two to three hours of content to know about Instagram? Not really. You're so, right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And you know what? I spent thousands of dollars on courses uh, that teach you about online courses and I was burned. Like there is a lot of times when the course is not worth what it promises to be. And I've been a victim of that. But then there are courses which I paid for, which were very expensive. And I found myself really enjoying them and getting the value. And I appreciated the contact between the person who was providing the course and myself. And I think that's kind of where we're moving. Like in my experience in the online world, I found that the people who actually replied to me or gave me that personal time, I found it like if that person did that, I was like, you can charge me whatever you want because I'm feeling as if like we're actually communicating and like, you know, this is real mm. as opposed to like paying money, big money on, on a, for a digital file that I download. I email somebody about it. I never hear back. And I just see like them bragging about how many sales they're, they're right. doing. I think I kind of don't like that about the internet. And I feel like, things are kind of moving in a way where it's more about the personal touch and actually hand holding rather than just leaving someone with a PDF or I totally agree. Yeah. It's not B2B. It's not B2C. It's H to H human to human. That's that's right, man. Yeah. I'm going to write that one. I love it. <laughs> nice. All right. Great conversation, Tommy. Thank you so much. Thanks brother. I appreciate you having me and uh, let's stay in touch. Sounds great. 
Have you ever noticed how most music entrepreneur methods out there are really overwhelming and confusing? That's why I decided to create the Music Entrepreneur Code, which really boils it all down to just the key points you need to get started and stay started. If you'd like to learn more, go to musicentrepreneurhq.com code and get on the waiting list right now. Thank you for listening. Music in this episode was brought to you by Brian Young. Wherever you're listening to this right now, please consider leaving a five-star review and comment to help us get the word out about the podcast. Thank you.